The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Emin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. This week we had a lot of fun talking about my favorite topic, diet and exercise. No, looking aside, we had a really good time with it. I learned a lot. We spoke about uh, intermediate fasting and movement in relation to the martial arts. It was really enlightening in a lot of ways. But we had a lot of fun, so sit back and enjoy. of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody and welcome to the newest episode of Dudes of Kung Fu. What's going on, Alex? Uh, nothing much. Is had a brutal week teaching and doing, you know, Kung Fu stuff. So it's, uh, I'm actually looking forward to this uh, every week because, uh, you know, everything's so busy, and I always know that at the end of the week, I can sit and chat with you for, for at least an hour, and it's always kind of a kind of a great highlight for me. What about you? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I do look forward to this. This is, a, this is a, a relaxing time for me where I get to chat Kung Fu instead of worrying about my job and things like that. And, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a, what's the right word for it, respite? Yes. Where it's like, you know, just, a, you know, it's like, I enjoy, I guess it's the same reason I enjoy guitar, it's just... It's just something away from the hustle and bustle of the, the work and the commute, and uh, I just enjoy it. So I missed you, man. How you been? Uh, good, but just like, uh, as I mentioned before... Uh, I mean, you look like shit, so I was just, <laughs> Well, that, that doesn't change. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, I, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm finishing up another book and video project, the, the, the book that's about movement, essentially how to improve your movement skills in Wing Chun, how to do I'm, bong and tan and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I'm excited about that because I, I get the impression it's more than that. Because I think when you say how to do bong and tan, I think people get the impression that you're going to just stand there and say, this is a bong style, this is a tan style. <laughs> not at and all. that's not what this is about. No, this is about actually improving your um, athletic abilities as a Wing Chun practitioner. Um, because as you know, you know, a lot of people who are new to Wing Chun, they, 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 some of the movements are not easy, especially bringing their elbows in and, and you know, forming the bong style with the elbow up. So they have like impingements on their shoulders 
and on the wrist and, and hips and things like that in order to be able to kick well and things. So I, um, these are things that we've been teaching at my school for years to basically improve the abilities of people who join. Um, and this can include people who've never done any martial arts before or people who've done years of something else and need to like reacclimate their body to something new. So this is a, a book that kind of teaches you from kind of head to toe how to improve your body uh, so you can move better with Wing Chun. And then there's a whole section on strength and what kind of strength do we need to actually perform Wing Chun. I talk about cardio. I talk about conditioning. I talk about passive and active range of motion. And it's the first book of its kind. And it comes with a video. So it's like a book and video combination. So I'm super excited about it. Just had some last minute edits I had to uh, finish today. And that should be out very shortly. And I'm already writing the book that's coming right after that, which is about the chi, uh, fundamentals of Chi Sao, the 15 Chi Sao fundamentals that I teach. And uh, that'll come out. That'll be a book and video as well. So, um, yeah, I'm just like this content machine these days. That That's amazing. That's that that's awesome. I'm really happy for it. And I know it's going to be a good product. You do good work. And it's but when you when you describe the book to me, um, I was thinking like, I was like, wow, that, that's really interesting. And what it reminded me of, and I don't know if this is fair or not, but what it reminded me of was, um, I'm going to say a year back when Conor McGregor was doing these videos of just kind of like these movements on the ground. And, and I was like, wow, it was like, you know, it, it was really interesting because clearly it helped him move, but it doesn't look exactly like martial art, but it looks just like healthy movement. Right. And take it from a person who has limited mobility because of my leg and my weight, like the idea of just improving your movement and your ability to move, it, it just sounds brilliant. I mean, and, and, and it doesn't have to be martial arts specific. Right, absolutely. And um, the movement coach that taught Conor McGregor, uh, his name is Ido Portal, and he's very famous. And he does uh, workshops everywhere. And I follow him on Instagram. If uh, if you guys are interested in just like movement in general and the you know the things that the human body is capable of, I definitely recommend uh, following Ido Portal on um, Instagram because he'll do he'll just do very simple stuff like even like with a tennis ball where he just throws it and catches it, but he has to like roll before he catches it and things like this and and he does very general movement stuff and. Um, the book project that I'm doing is very specific to like these type of things are specifically for Wing Chun. But movement in general is something that um, I think all athletes, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a martial artist or whether you play um, sports or whatever. Movement, improving your ability to move is only going to improve you as an athlete. And this is um, a little excerpt from one of my mentors uh, who is actually coming to New York in a couple of weeks, a guy named Kenneth J. He's a... Um, He's like the guru of sports physiology. The guy's amazing. He's a Danish strength and Olympic uh, conditioning coach. And he's one of my good friends. And he's basically my fitness and conditioning mentor. Um, he told me something very interesting. You know, the and I may have mentioned this on the on the podcast before, but um, the, the brain is actually not like a computer. You know, a computer, the more programs you put on a computer, the slower it starts to run, the more it tends to overload. But the human brain is very interesting because recent studies tend to indicate that the brain, our human brain is only designed for one thing, and that is actually movement. That all of our functions of higher thinking and lower thinking actually guide movement, which guides survival. 
<laughs> so our brain is our brain is essentially wired to keep us moving so we can essentially survive and hunt, eat and reproduce, right? So the strange thing about the brain is the more movement patterns you introduce to it, the more different ways you move, it doesn't get overloaded the way a computer does. It actually finds the most efficient way to move the more so it's kind of like the more different ways you index different ways of movement so you do different sports and this and that and whatever the more efficient your brain will actually find the right movement to do in the moment it needs it so connor doing all these like non-martial arts specific moving and rolling and doing all these partner exercises and is actually just affects his overall coordination which is going to serve him in fighting in general so the brain science actually tends to indicate the more you just move in different ways the better you're going to move regardless of what your sport is i you know one of the things i discovered with um working out in the mornings now before work i work out i do cardio well the, the goal to do is the cardio monday tuesday thursday friday at uh four almost five o'clock in the morning we start wow and one of the things I noticed, I was literally just telling my wife, Lori, about this, is um, I, I, for those who don't know, I work for a quote-unquote, I guess, Wall Street job, you can call it. And I noticed that on mornings that I, on, on the days that I worked out that morning, I feel like I have a higher clarity of thought yes. throughout the day. And I don't know if it's, you know, all in my head or... Whatever it is, I had gone the longest time without working out. And when we started working out, although I'm tired because I worked out in the morning and my knees hurt and my feet hurt and I got all that going on, I noticed that there's a higher clarity of thought and I'm more able to set a schedule and, and, and stay on schedule and do a better quality of product at my job on the mornings that I, on, the, on the days following a cardio morning. And I hate to admit that because I fucking hate cardio. But <laughs> well, um, but you, you're I totally definitely right. that. You're, you're totally right. And um, as a matter of fact, well, you do cardio in the morning because that, that's probably the best time that fits with your schedule, you know, because you have a commute right. and everything like that. But um, truthfully, truthfully, that clarity of mind you get from having done something in the morning is is pretty much present if you do any kind of exercise first thing in the morning. Um, studies have shown this, and I, f I found that out by accident. Um, in many years ago, I used to, my schedule was so random because I would sometimes teach in the evening. Sometimes I would have a morning student. Sometimes I would teach in the afternoon. My schedule is a lot more consistent now because it works. Basically I'm overbooked these days. Um, but I noticed that on mornings when I would like get up a little bit earlier and maybe do the siunam towel form before breakfast, or even just do some light, you know, like a couple knee bends and a couple push-ups and maybe like just kind of head to toe warm up stuff. I just felt so much sharper on those days mentally, and I also just felt that um, my Wing Chun was a lot more coordinated when I taught it on that day because you kind of like kick-started your nervous system first thing in the morning. And so I find that it's not necessarily a matter of whether I do cardio in the morning or strength training. It's any kind of morning exercise, which is why I have a morning routine that I do every morning, regardless of whether I'm also going to work out in the morning or I'm going to work out later or I'm not going to work out that day. Every morning when I get up, I do the same thing and my entire day just falls into place mainly because I do it. And that morning routine takes me 10 minutes. 
And so, and I've discussed it before that eight section brocade thing that I do, but it actually doesn't matter whether it's that or the form, or even if you just get up and do 10 jumping jacks, do five push ups, do a couple knee bends. If you do kind of morning exercise to wake up your nervous system first thing in the morning, you will only have a much better day as a result. And it doesn't have to be anything like crazy intensive. Well, you want to, I mean, and feel free to make fun of me. It's okay. Oh, never how what we started doing because it's really just about cardio for me i need to move right so my wife we get up and she plays music and we dance nice and like you know i mean no one can hear us because you know i live in a house here right so we put the fucking music up nice and loud and I'm I'm dancing to fucking like Bruno Mars at wow. five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but you know, it's just I mean, it doesn't I don't care like how it looks dancing. It's just the idea of I'm I'm up. Yeah. I'm literally dancing with my wife. Sure. We're laughing. Sure. We're having fun. And and we time it. So like started out with X amount of minutes and, and now we're like, you know, from when we started, I'm now at three times as long as I used to go. Nice. And uh it's actually pretty fun, you know? I mean, I'm not going to say I I, I I wake up in the morning saying, oh, yeah, yeah I get to quote-unquote work out. Sure. I wish I could stay in bed for that extra 20 minutes, a half hour. Right. But um, but it's definitely it's been unique for me because usually when I think of working out in cardio, I think of like I have an aerobic step. I go up and down. Right. I have, you know, like I do shadow boxing. I have other types of real like, um, cardio type workouts, but you know, my wife suggested this and I'm like, you know what? We, we both kind of like to dance and it's fun. And I'm definitely moving. Right. Like I'm definitely moving because she like pushes me. Like if she sees, I'm just standing there shuffling my feet. She'll like push me, you know? And usually my cardio workouts are, are, are a lot more, uh, regimented. I like the, um, oh, Jesus, I'm so dumb. I, I like I like the workout where like you work out for twenty seconds off ten seconds Tabatas. Off twenty seconds Tabatas. Tabata I love Tabata yeah okay so what I'll you normally do is I'll, I'll pick like say four exercises and say okay so I'm gonna run uh, like a, a four a four way Tabata and I'll I'll have it all picked out so I'll do like twenty seconds of like up and downs on the on the aerobic step yeah and then ten seconds rest then twenty seconds of like squats right. with the shoulder press right. and I'll, I'll have four exercises and I'll do that for eight rounds. And it's, and it's much, it's probably more effective and it's probably better for me cardio wise, but it's nowhere near as fun as dancing with your wife before work. Of course. Of course. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not, it's just, it's just more fun to hang out with your wife and, and, and I'm more apt to do the, the uh, dancing with Lori. Sure. At 5 a.m. in the morning, and right. and uh, we have a good time. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, finding motivation and exercise is really important. I think for for martial artists, it it, it can sometimes be easier because we can tie our uh, physical training with our performance as a martial artist. So I know that you know every week on Tuesday I have what I call my meathead workout which is like where I just row like a maniac and I hit the heavy bag for 10 rounds and I shadow box and I hit the wall bag and, and I just go like totally ape shit, right? And so I know what my performance was like last Tuesday. So 
I, I train the entire week trying to make myself better. And I know that on Tuesday, I'm going to do the same meathead workout again. So mm. the following Tuesday, it's like I, I compete with myself from last Tuesday. So then it becomes this thing. And in that way, it's more fun because it's not just like doing mindless reps. You're kind of like trying to kick your own ass like from where you used to be. Like I'm going to be finishing this 10th round, the last minute of the 10th round. I'm going to be hitting this bag without any break. I'm just going to go bah, 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 bah. Whereas last week, I know that I got a little bit tired in that last minute. But screw that guy i'm gonna beat him you know so right, right, so right. in that way and then of course you got the music blaring and everything it has to become something that is like that you're internally motivated otherwise you'll you'll never do it and um yeah so i'm, I'm really super happy that you're doing that i think that's great dancing is great i love i'm half cuban so dancing's like in my blood so which half <laughs> what was that which half? oh it's the lower half it's definitely not the upper half <laughs> <laughs> I'm white as hell on the upper half. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> so yeah, dude, I, I, I'm, I love dancing, man. And, and it's definitely one of my favorite things. And to, to burn calories dancing is probably one of the easiest ways to do it for sure. Oh yeah. I'm a freaking sweaty mess. I mean, face it, I'm a sweaty mess getting out of a fucking chair, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's actually, I think, I think for me, it's incredibly healthy. Right. And, um, and it's been one of the smartest decisions decisions i've made in a long yeah. time and to, uh, you know. tabatas are really great um most people use tabatas for muscular endurance training like like what you're doing which is great because it keeps everything moving and it's like everything's short and then break and then the next thing is short and break it's really nice because mm -hmm. you train it up do you know the do you know original tabata protocol um which is by the japanese doctor of that surname do you know that it's a VO2 max protocol? It is actually for the highest type of endurance possible. And um, you're supposed to go 20. So this is when you use it as a cardio protocol. When you use it like how, how you're using it as a kind of an, a muscular endurance and like kind of interval training, then you, mm -hmm. you do whatever exercise you want for 20 seconds and then you're off for 10. But the original protocols, you got to hit VO2 max or higher for 20 seconds and then your 10 seconds break and then 20 seconds and then 10 seconds break. And that is like, so I do Tabatas on the rowing machine, but I can only do about 13 rounds. So 13 rounds, like 20 seconds on 10 yep. seconds off. That's one round. And I'm on the rowing machine. So for 20 seconds, I'm pulling that thing ah, like a beast and then 10 seconds off, which never feels like any kind of break. And right. at the end of that, you you literally want to vomit a lung. I, I usually can do those once a week. <laughs> like, they're they're yeah, brutal. Uh, they're, they're great, the, though. They're really great. The Tabata protocol is brutal. I, um, I, had, I used to have this when I had lost all that weight. I had this awesome Tabata protocol like set up where I would do um, up and down on a cardio step as fast as I can, squats with uh, dumbbell shoulder presses as fast as I could. Nice. Um, heavy, heavy, what do you call it? Medicine ball slams. Yes. And the other one was, um, oh, Jesus, I forget what it was. I, you know, I just, I just have them, but I don't forget what it's called. Um, a sandbag. A sandbag throw. Oh, nice. And I would just throw the sandbag, pick it up, throw a sandbag, pick it up, and 
It's, I guess it's similar to the medicine ball, but it's, it is different. It is different, yeah. It's that dead weight. I think throwing things like that is really – people have no idea what a workout that is and how great that is for functional martial arts training. Picking right. up a sandbag, throwing it, grabbing a medicine ball, slamming it, like all those kind of throwing, grabbing, pulling exercises that just make one more beastly in their martial arts for sure. Well, when you look at me, you think beast as <laughs> um, we were also talking before the uh, um, before we recorded today about um, my diet, which is intermittent fasting. So I just want to say something kind of quick about that. Yeah, I actually had a question about that. Yeah, because I've heard that term a lot. I really don't know too much about mm-hmm. it. And I was going to ask you about that. And I was going to ask you without any. So if the answer is no, that's fine. Because. Do you know anything about the, the keto diet as well? Keto, yes. So um, I, I know a little bit about it. Again, I'm not I'm not an expert in any of these things. Um, um, actually, you know what I was thinking? It, not next week, but the week after, my good buddy Kenneth Jay is going to be here, that Danish, uh, Danish Olympic strength training coach. He is the wizard of sports performance, athletic performance, diet, training, cardio, everything. I would like to have him on the podcast because he is like – He's the guy I sit and just I just I go silent and I just listen to him because he's the man when it comes to this stuff. He actually told me keto diets are bullshit. So oh, really? yeah, but 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 from a scientific perspective. So um, keto diets or I guess it's called ketogenesis is actually a real thing. It's when your body is is using fat as energy rather than sugar. Now, um, ketogenesis is a normal thing. Um, that we go into in various phases of our day. Um, whenever you have burned off using all the sugar, like let's so your first source for energy is always sugar, the sugar from the food you eat. Once you've burned right. that off and you have nothing left, your body will then by default start burning fat as energy. And for people who want to lose fat and people who want to like you know gain lean muscle mass, um, you want to be in a ketogenic state. You want to be burning fat, right? Rather than burning sugar, you want to be burning the fat. The problem is that now there's this fad of a keto diet where people believe that essentially through a high-protein diet, you can put yourself in this ketogenic phase all the time. And that is, n- according to Kenneth J. now I'm not the one with the science behind it, so I think we got to bring him on and he can tell us why. And that could be the title of that podcast, Why Keto Diets Are Bullshit, because then we'll get tons <laughs> of downloads because right now everyone swears that the keto diet is the one. Now, I do what's called intermittent fasting, which actually means that my body is in a ketogenic state nearly 16 hours of the day, but not because of diet, because of fasting. All right. So we'll bring Kenneth to discuss the keto stuff. But basically, um, intermittent fasting is a very um, uh, it, it has a lot of science behind it. It's not a fad where like, oh, it's just the thing some people are doing now and then on to the next thing. This is something that's been around for a very long time. And essentially, the uh, intermittent fasting means that you eat all your meals within an eight-hour window during the day. And then for the remaining 16 hours of the day, you don't eat. <laughs> so so you're not fasting like 
24 hours for three days like some of those diets because actually if you fast all the time you're gonna sleep terribly because your body goes into threat mode when you're starving it's going no you can't sleep now we need to get food because you're starving right so right, right, right. by intermittent fasting you're only fasting for 16 hours so you don't suffer all the problems of sleep like people who do like full day or multiple day fasts so that's one of the great advantages of it actually you sleep much better when you intermittent fast because you're you're not your body is 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 fasting while you're sleeping in a way where you're not starving but you're not hungry either it's kind of perfect right and right. um so i eat all of my meals basically between 9 a.m and 5 p.m so my the very last thing i eat can't be later than 5 p.m and then i'm done until 10 a.m. the next day or 9 a.m. the next day, I just drink water. I drink tea with no sugar. Or if I drink coffee, it's got to be black. So no milk, no sugar, no nothing. So you don't consume anything. So for 16 hours, you're essentially fasting. It was difficult for the first two days. And by day three, it was easy as all sin. And I've been doing it now for three months. And I've lost... Um, I didn't do it for weight loss because I wasn't particularly overweight. I did it to change my body composition and my body has changed radically. I mean, I look like, you know, in Spider-Man when he got bit by the spider and then he looked in the mirror and he's like, whoa, like what's going on there? Like I, I've, I've only I've lost about eight pounds of fat. Um, so it's not like a radical and I didn't yeah, I do you. it to lose a lot of weight. But my my body composition is like ridiculous now. And um, and it's mainly from the fasting because I didn't change my exercise that much. So um, and I love it. And so five days out of the week, Monday through Friday, I'm basically fasting 16 hours a day. And then Saturday and Sunday, I eat like normal. So I, I, I eat late and I eat a bunch of shit and I eat whatever the hell I feel like eating. So I look forward right. to the weekend because I can eat whatever the hell I want. And then come month. But I really look forward to fasting because I feel so much better. And um I, I really wish I had done this years ago because the science behind it is really incredible. For people who want to lose weight or people who want to gain muscle or people who want to just lose fat and keep muscle, it's the perfect day. Do you know who Terry Crews is, that actor that jacked? Sure. He's absolutely. on a, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine or whatever. He does intermittent fasting. and but So it, there's no like – it's not like people who do the Atkins diet. They all look like they're dying on the vine. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's like so, – so you could, you could have somebody who does intermittent fasting who's like a jacked bodybuilder and you can have somebody that's more leaned out and you can have a Bruce Lee type and a wrestler type and, and, and a marathon runner type. So there's no type of person – that you know there's no one look for people who do intermittent fasting it's right, probably right, right. the easiest way to control your hormone levels to control your insulin levels and um and you essentially go into a ketogenic state when you're in that fasting state so your body because you're not ingesting any new sugar if you're doing something in that 16 hour window you're using fat for that energy you're not burning because sure. you've already you're not introducing any more sugar and i have so much more energy so much more mental clarity and I, act, I look forward to the weekend because I can eat whatever I want, but I look way more forward back to Monday to going back on fasting because I know I'm just going to feel so much better. So um, this is what I've been doing. If people are interested in it, you can Google intermittent fasting. There are plenty of online sources. It's a very simple diet. You can you just eat, eat. And even if you just eat what you normally eat, but you just do it in an eight-hour window, that's already a start. And then over time, you'll you'll want to obviously eat better and space your meals mm -hmm. out in a way where it makes a little bit more sense. And um, but even if you just 
eat what you eat, but just do it in eight hours and fast for the remaining 16, you'll notice a big change. So that's interesting. I'm gonna give that a shot, actually. That sounds that sounds doable. Yeah, that for, sounds... for people who are starting it, you're you're not gonna be able to do five days right away. You might want to try two days, and then three days, and then until you work up to five days, and then um and then once you're up to doing it five days, I could I could do it seven days if I wanted to. Um, it's just that actually eating like a pig on the weekend has some benefit for your metabolism if you're doing intermittent fasting for the rest of the week. So right. um, so it, it's actually kind of smart to eat a little bit less than perfect for a couple days. But I could do it seven days a week and I would feel great. I wouldn't feel like I'm depriving myself. You know what I mean? And that's what most people Not feel sure. when they diet is that they're depriving themselves. And now I just feel, no, I just control um because food is energy and I just feel I'm controlling my energy levels. I'm in control of it. Like you're in the cockpit of an airplane and, and that's what I'm doing now. I'm not ruled by eating on someone else's schedule or at a certain time. I'm like, no, this is my power and this is how I decide to, to, um, to, to put it in my body. And so it's, it's very empowering. I have to say, you know, I've been eating very clean, but I still have a horrible bad habit that I have that I have to get off. And like this is, you know, my own fucking fault. It's my own stupidity. I know it's bad. Like you ever have, oh, not you, you're perfect. But, uh, you know, like like uh, the rest of the human beings, like I, I know like I'm doing something bad and every day I say, yeah, this is stupid. And so like I'll eat very clean all day. Yeah. With the exception of I'll fucking blow through lifesaver after lifesaver after lifesaver. Right. Which is just sugar. Right, 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 right. It's the stupidest thing in the world. I know it's the stupidest thing in the world. And yet I need to keep it lifesaver in my mouth all day long. Well, do you, how much sleep do you get? Um, well, I get up at 4.30. I start working out close to 5. And I'm usually asleep by like 10.30. 10.30, 10, 10, usually bed by 10.30. Okay. I, I go to bed like 10, usually sleep by 10.30. Right. So 11.30, 12.30. Like six hours. Yeah. So you. Um. There, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to listen to Matthew Walker, um, he was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast like uh, two weeks ago. He's a sleep expert, a sleep scientist who wrote this amazing book. Um, do yourself a favor. I mean, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast religiously because he's just the man. Um, the Matthew Walker podcast, which is on sleep, he talks about the importance of sleep from a scientific perspective. Um, and how it's vital for weight loss and for um, hormonal balance and all sorts of stuff. If if we don't get less than six hours of sleep, we are actually shortchanging a lot of the health benefits, and we're actually doing long term damage to our own bodies. And <coughs> really, yes. And and the thing is, and it's the the science is very cut and dry. It's seven to nine hours. If you get less than seven hours, you're actually just straight up doing damage to your body. And, wow. and, 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 and you, because uh, that minimum of seven hours of sleep, you create um, your, your, your body's doing things that naturally fights cancer, does all sorts of things that are very vital and also staves off Alzheimer's. So they're finding a big re trigger for Alzheimer's is lack of sleep, mainly less than seven hours a night on a regular mm, wow. basis for years. So that's why you see it, especially in people who worked third shift and rarely got sleep. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. see Alzheimer's quite a bit. The, I mean, I can't do it justice because this guy's a sleep scientist. So you got to listen to it. But the broad stroke is if you get less than seven hours of sleep, we have two hormones in our body, one that 
suppresses hunger and one that uh, lets us know when we are full. When you get less than seven hours of sleep, the hormone that's supposed to let you know that you're full doesn't fully function. And the one that makes you feel hungrier over functions. So by the simple matter mm. of not sleeping enough, your body will eat more and not recognize when it's full early enough. That's why when we are totally um, underslept, like if you had a night where you only got two hours of sleep, more than likely you eat terribly the next day because your body will crave sweets and crap and won't really recognize that you're full because these two hormones are not in balance because of the lack of sleep. So that's why uh, that, that that's interesting. Yeah, that's it's, really it's an amazing podcast. So if you have a chance, it's like uh, within the last week or two, it's Matthew Walker on the Joe Rogan podcast. Do yourself a favor. Listen to it. It's unbelievable. Really unbelievable. You know, for a long time, my wife and I went to uh, Weight Watchers in an effort to uh, get me to lose some weight. And I, and I do really think that they have a very good program if you can stick to it. I do think that. I know a lot of people hate Weight Watchers, but you know what? This, if for no other reason, they're very encouraging. And all the old ladies that work there really give a shit. Right. They do. They give a shit. Right. Whether, you know, whether they are, you know, how good the program is or not, I don't know. But if you want a room full of supportive people that give a shit, that's the place to go. Anyway, we I remember at a Weight Watcher meeting, talking, and the common thread, of uh, uh, an issue popped up, and it was interesting. Fat people, and this is speaking as a fat person, have a hard time identifying the small window while you're eating of when you feel satisfied to when you feel full. Right. And you have to learn to stop eating when you're satisfied. Yes. And not when you're full. Right. And I know myself, like, you know, I don't stop eating until I feel like I want to kill myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, I think I can squeeze another slice of pizza in here. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, I burped. Okay, yeah, I can get another slice in. You know, and... As opposed to ending when I'm feeling satisfied and then just relaxing and having a glass of water and that full feeling will come. Yes, yes. You eat until fat people, and again, speaking as a fat person, we, 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 we don't sense that, we don't get that, that, that feeling of satis you know, satiation. Being right. sat yeah. That's the word. I, the, the, this idea that, okay, the hunger is satisfied. Right. I'm going to just keep on eating till I'm full. Sure, sure. As if like, okay, now this is my last meal. Let me eat it all. And it, 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 it definitely is a and, and, and something that really runs through the fat, fat community. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and then like, because I have buddies of mine who like eat, you know, they're in good shape and they're not like, uh, like workout machines like you, like you. They're just like, you know, normal guys, guys I work with. And like they'll eat and they'll just be like, well, I'm not hungry anymore. Like, you know, and they'll stop. Right. And I'm like, but there's still like French fries on your plate. Like, what are you doing? And he'd be like, oh, here, you want them? And I'm like, but this, but why, why would you, <laughs> why would you not like, finish what's on your plate? Why would you not finish the French fries? Like, that doesn't make sense. Are you a communist? <laughs> like, you know, is that, you know, I don't get this. Like, why, why, I don't understand how you could have French fries on your plate and not eat them. Right. Like, 
like there's something basically wrong with that. There should be a pill you could take to stop right. that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and, and I noticed with people that are very overweight, there's absolutely there's absolutely an issue with understanding when you're satisfied right. as opposed to when you're so sure, fat. Sure, sure. When you're so full, you want to kill yourself. Right, right, right. You know, let me. I wish the pants had zippers in it so it can open up and right. let my stomach expand. Right, you know? right, 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 right. Yeah, well, I think for most part, people really fear the um, emotion of hunger because we associate it with dying or not living or or not being around. You know, so that we now live in a modern society where basically we don't need to go hungry. You know, and so, um, but biologically, as 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 an animal, we would have gone through periods where. We would have great feast, and then we would have gone through periods where we have famine. We're basically hunter-gatherers, right? You have a bunch right. of food, you have a kill, you eat it, and then you go a couple days with nothing. So our biological rhythms are actually meant to endure not having food for quite a bit. And your body goes through some really fantastic healing and regenerative processes when you are not constantly stuffing it with new food it needs to digest. So... To kind of induce this on yourself through something like intermittent fasting actually puts you on a more natural rhythm. And I don't feel ever like I'm really starving, but there are definitely moments where I feel a little bit hungry. And it's amazingly satisfying to be like, yeah, I'm hungry, but I don't have to eat. I still have energy. That's just me being hungry because my body thinks I'm not going to survive if I don't eat. But I know I'm physically going to make it till tomorrow to 10 o'clock. And I'm not that hungry that I'm going to die. So I just don't eat. I'll just drink some more water and I'm fine. So you mm. you you kind of gain control over that voice in your head that says, you're hungry, you need to eat. And you need to eat all of it. There's just like, nah, I could eat, but I don't need to. And I'm not going to. And you you you, you kind of own that voice. And that's incredibly empowering by the way speaking of weird fad diets did you ever hear the rumor that bruce lee used to drink uh, cow's blood did you ever hear that rumor i never heard that so rumor. that is a big rumor in hong kong right because of course the one place where you find the 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 most inaccurate information about bruce lee is actually in hong kong because many chinese only know him through the films and they only know this sensationalized bruce lee through the newspapers Whereas, whereas many American Bruce Lee fans know him through bo his own books and writings and things like that. So I tend to find that like American or let's say Western fans of Bruce Lee tend to at least know more about the stuff he actually did and wrote about. And Chinese fans of Bruce Lee, you know, believe all sorts of like insane rumors about it. Insane him. crazy but, shit. But apparently the rumor about – because even my – one of my Seabox in Hong Kong, uh, Sifu Lee – he told me, like, in Cantonese, he says, yeah, Bruce Lee was really strong because he drank cow's blood, right? And and he told that to me. He said it to me in Chinese, and then I thought I had misheard him because, you know, maybe it's just um, – maybe yeah, my right, Chinese sure. wasn't correct. So I asked my wife, and she's like, no, he literally just said Bruce Lee drank cow's blood, and that's why he's strong. And I'm like, oh, that's what I thought he said, right? And mm -hmm. and I remember just thinking, like, that just is really weird. Like, um, like those weird gothy vampire people who actually drink blood and then vomit it because it's just like your stomach is not meant to absorb it, right? So I'm like, this doesn't Ugh. sound right. And then when I, when I went to the Bruce Lee exhibit in Hong Kong, which I have told you about a few times, they have a documentary that shows there. And you can watch it. And I told you it's like the best Bruce Lee documentary no one's ever seen because you need to go to this place to see it that's not shown openly. Right. And Linda Lee actually addresses that rumor because it was a Chinese documentary. So they asked her that question. And she said, no, 
Um, she says Bruce was obviously really into like eating healthy and, and protein and all sorts of things like that. And Bruce also was very efficient. He didn't want to waste a lot of time eating because he wanted to get back to making movies or training. He didn't want to be spending a lot of time. So he was always trying to find little, you know, to use like a 21st century terminology. He was try always trying to find little hacks to make things quicker and better. Right. So he got like a blender and a, either a blender or a juicer, right? Because he was juicing and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And she said he, he thought that maybe to get protein quicker, he could like juice a hamburger patty. <laughs> so, so, you know, like put, put a hamburger patty in like a juicer or a blender or whatever, and then just drink it. And that would be like a quicker way to consume than like right, eating right. the actual patty. He could just down it and then he could be on his way. And then she said that when they like either juiced it or I don't know if it was a juice or a blender, that basically all that was there was like a bunch of blood and he Ugh. drank it. He just thought it was disgusting and never did it again. And, you know, perhaps he had told somebody that he tried it. There was a lot of blood and he threw it away. And then some Chinese said, oh, Bruce Lee just said he drinks cow's blood. And then it became this thing. <laughs> but it was actually just a failed attempt to essentially juice a hamburger. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Which I thought that's was like, good. that's like, it's so funny, right? Um, uh, yeah. So it, it just kind of brought to mind since we, you know, spent a bunch of time talking about, you know, diets and workout and exercise. Uh, I, uh, I figured our audience members might want to hear something about Wing Chun or Bruce Lee. And I'm like, wait a minute. I remember this wacky thing about Bruce Lee's diet. So that, that was really, that was pretty cool. That was interesting. That was interesting. We usually don't talk that much about um, diet and exercise. And yeah. We should talk more about it because I think uh, with me going through it and you being an excellent resource, it's it's something that people that are interested in in it and in along with you know with martial arts may may find uh you know in, in interesting i mean i i think it's fun it's absolutely it's definitely, uh, and, definitely and i really think this is definitely more motivation to get kenneth j on the podcast when he's here because uh you just got to listen to this guy he is he's the man like you and you can ask him anything about cardio diets exercise physiology he also is, trains ufc fighters in oh, wow. he does their like cardio and conditioning and so he was a, right, right. also a conditioning coach for uh, nick dalby among many other fighters so he knows about like uh high performance uh athletic stuff so yeah it would be great to bring him on and he's far more qualified than i am on that stuff and, and he he's danish He's blonde. He's like six foot three, and he's built like a Greek. He he he's basically okay. Calm down, Alex. It sounds like you're gonna rape the he's dude. He's right? basically Thor, right? And and every time and every time he goes to Starbucks and orders a coffee, you know, they ask for your name. He just says Thor, and then they'll always like look at him and be like, "Oh wait, 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 wait really?" <laughs> like you know, like, like yeah, sure, right? so yeah, the dude, the dude's like you know, uh, typical of like I always seek out the best people. It's like so, of course. The guy who's my fitness and strength training guru looks like an effing superhero. You know what I mean? It's like right, sure, typical, sure. Right? Um, by the way, um, speaking of seeking out gurus, so we had a very kind of bizarre um, interaction. So, I, I, as you know, like I, I run a very large Wing Chun school. I, I I don't do any of the administration stuff. I have a team that handles that stuff for me. Basically, I I teach my private students and I teach a couple instructor classes a week. And that's it. The rest of the classes are all run by my team. So a majority of what goes on at City Wing Chun is not through my hands anymore. I have uh, I have 
people who are far more competent at running my school than I am. I'm just kind of like, you know, the instructor trainer and the figurehead and, you know, the 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 instructor, the, the, the instructor of, of the instructor, so to speak. Right. So anyway, um, we occasionally get phone calls like weird phone calls. And um, we, we got kind of an odd phone call this week. So my assistant um, sent me a message and basically said that somebody called and was very insistent on talking to me directly on the phone. Now, in and of itself, that's not an unheard of thing. A lot of people call the school and they're like, yeah, I want to talk to Sifu Alex because they assume like many small Kung Fu schools that the Sifu is also the guy who answers the phone and you know, answers the email and cleans the toilet and te- teaches the classes and hands out the flyers because most martial arts schools are kind of a one-man show, you know. But our school's a very large professional school. I have a team, right? So my a team is used to people asking for me, and they're like, well, maybe I can help you out. And usually all that ends up happening is they just want to come in and try out the school, so my assistant will book them for an intro lesson, and they, it turns out they don't need to talk to me. They just need to book an intro lesson, right? So... Most of the time, that's how it goes, right? But this person was insistent upon talking to me. And and, um, my assistant says, well, if you want to do an introductory lesson with Sifu Alex himself, because I normally don't teach intro lessons myself. I have a team that does it. Um, But I will teach intro lessons if people really want to do an intro lesson with me. It just it costs one hundred fifty dollars for 30 minutes of my time because I, I don't know, you know, if somebody wants to get their intro from me, that's all I got to come in on my busy schedule and they're getting an intro lesson from the head of the school. So I, I charge for that. Right. So um, and the guy was like, well, I don't know if I want to pay one hundred fifty dollars, but but he's insistent on that. He learns from me or that he meets me, but he's not insistent on that. I'm valuable enough for him to actually pay for. It's like, <laughs> well, clearly this guy is very valuable, but I'm not actually going to pay for it. He's valuable, but but give him to me for free. Kind is is not what he said, but it's essentially the general vibe. Right. And my system was like, well, you know, we have a if you want to come out and try the school, we have an introductory program. It's absolutely free. You're with one of our instructors. They can answer all your questions. No, 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 I want Sifu Alex. Put him on the phone. Well, I'm not there at the school when this guy physically answer, uh, calls the, the school, right? So anyway, um, my assistant is like, well, you know, we, we can book you for a private lesson. It's $150. Oh, he doesn't want to do that. Just put what? Why can't I talk to him? You know, the he said something like the reviews about my school says that Sifu Alex is very hands-on. Why can't he just talk on the phone? Well, the, the gag is, well, I'm probably hands-on with a student right now while you're calling. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's right, like, right, like exactly. I'm, I'm busy teaching. I, I don't have 10 students, and it's not a knock on people who have small schools. Why We have hundreds of students at City Wing Chun, and I have a team, right? And I'm, I'm responsible for a small portion, and I have a very competent team that teaches the rest. So anyway, um, he was like, well, I don't know why I can't talk to him. And, you know, apparently he's listens to the podcast. So he knows who we are. He knows who I am. Um, he, he doesn't ex- ex- assume I'm some kind of, you know, small time instructor. So he knows I'm a big deal, but at the same time, doesn't want to go through the normal procedure of making an appointment or booking me for something or whatever. Right. So my assistant says, well, have you done Wing Chun before? And the guy says, yes, he has a master certificate in Wing Chun under a certain lineage. I'm not going to mention it. And then she says, um, well, OK, well, he, I can you can send an email to the school and I can forward it to Sifu Alex and he can answer your email. But the guy wants me to talk to him on the phone and I'm, I'm not around the phone most of the time. Right. 
So anyway, um, you know. What a dick, <laughs> Yeah, she gets off the phone with him. He doesn't send an email. Maybe he feels offended, whatever. But, but again, we're not really in the business of taking master-level instructors from other schools. And as, as you know, to, if somebody already calls themselves a master-level or they say they have a master's certificate, right. well, is this person really interested in learning something new or do they want a new place to, to find some cheesel buddies for them to train with for free. You know what I mean? Like, right, right, and, right, and, sure. and so anyway, I thought that was kind of strange. And, and also what was strange for me is knowing what lineage this person is from. There are people in New York who teach that lineage of Wing Chun. I don't know why somebody who's a so-called master in that lineage wants to then go and learn from someone else and then be so insistent that I teach him as if like he's coming from my own family or something like that, right? Right. So that was a strange thing. But then it it, it got me started because, um, as you know, I'm a huge Wing Chun nut. Wing Chun is my thing, right? But I also train with people in other martial arts, high-level experts of different styles because I want to improve the way I teach Wing Chun and I want to improve my understanding of other martial arts, thereby improving how I teach Wing Chun. So I have right. trained with high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu people, high-level Kung Fu people, Max Sifu from Hong Kong, who you know, um, Sifu Li Tinloy of Southern Mantis, you know, high-level boxing coaches from Miami, all sorts of crazy people. And the one thing I would never do is call a school of somebody of note and insist that that head instructor be put on the phone with me because I'm a master level in Leung Ting Wing Chun. You know what I mean? And like, it, right. like, like the, the kind of like hubris of somebody to think that way. Can you imagine calling Henzo Gracie's gym and be like, hey, I'm a master of Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do. I demand to talk to Henzo Gracie now because the reviews on the website says Henzo Gracie is an amazing jujitsu instructor. So why won't he talk to me on the phone? Well, Henzo could be teaching a seminar somewhere. He might not even be in New York. And he probably has a staff of highly competent black belts who are more than qualified to teach you, even if you happen to be a master of something else, right? And I thought, like, I would have never, even, like, when I approach even a Sifu that I'm not going to learn from, let's say a Sifu Roland Tong, who's a student of, uh, original student of Yip Man, who's in Hong Kong, right? I want to meet him because I want to talk to him about Wing Chun and like interview him and find, but I'm not I'm not going to learn from him, right? But even then, I'm very very specific because first of all, outside of how that call was just a little bit rude in general because he's very demanding of of somebody it's like it's like calling McDonald's and wanting the CEO to cook you a hamburger, right? You know what I mean? Like right. like so it's a little bit rude, but even in <coughs> Chinese culture and assuming he's a master in Wing Chun, he would know something about it. You you have to approach other instructors with respect. So when I like write Roland Tong, I I actually had my wife write the email in Chinese so that he's like put at ease immediately like hello, my name is so and so. I want to come and meet you if you have time, you know, but if you're too busy, I understand. Like I'm very almost self-deprecating in the email because I am asking somebody of note to make time for me who is a nobody to them, even if I'm a somebody to other people. You know what I mean? And sure. and, and same thing when I go and do jujitsu in Miami or, or I go and learn boxing from somebody. And, and even if they're not very traditional, I call Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches pro- professor until they say, oh, you don't have to call me professor. I call my boxing coach 
coach until they tell me, oh, just call me by my first name. Because my assumption is, look, I want to be the guy that shows respect and be the person that is told, oh, you don't need to be so formal. Rather than I come in guns blazing informal and I come off as a rude prick because I don't know the culture of the place that I'm entering in. Better to enter in over-respectful and told you don't need to be so formal then come in like a total prick, right? You know what I mean? It's like, and 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 using terms like Sifu so-and-so or coach or professor doesn't mean I'm like a hardcore traditionalist because showing respect means you respect yourself and you respect the person and it's up to them to say, ah, you don't need to call me this, just call me by my first name or oh, don't be so formal or hey, you know what? Um, actually, our professor will definitely get on the phone with you because he's right here. But this kind of like demanding of it, I'm like, I couldn't imagine doing that to somebody from Chinese Kung Fu to another Wing Chun Sifu to even a bo- a Western boxing coach that's probably totally cool and chill. My assumption would never be, hey, I'm so-and-so in Wing Chun. I got this awesome podcast with this good-looking co-host named Sean. You better put so-and-so on the phone with me. You know what I mean? Like... Like, who comes off that way? Like, this kind of self-importance. And I'm sure if the guy walked into my school and I had a free moment, hey, I would sit and talk to him. But this idea that, you know, my team is not qualified to talk to him because he's a master. You know what I mean? And and, and also... Well, you've always got several things going on. Right. I mean, we both both know that the average... I hate to say this, but the average Wing Chun Sifu is an asshole. Yes. You the know, default so, position until you're shown otherwise. <laughs> right. I mean, when people tell me, well, I'm a Kung Fu master, especially if they start using that word master, right. it's like, you know, you got to just like, you have to default, you click off the box, it just says asshole. <laughs> there's, so, there's so many morons in the martial arts that just live through this, for lack of a better word, they live through this fantasy world. Right. Of the, like, they, they picture themselves as some sort of, Modern day thirty six chambered fucking ninja or something, right. and like, and they have this self importance that's just of uber ridiculousness. And then you have this, then and also to go along with that, there's this general rudeness in society yeah. that is just beyond belief. And again, I know I've told this story before. I don't, I don't know if I've ever told the whole story, but. Like, I once had a guy, I teach, taught out of my house. I had someone contact me saying they were going to come for lessons. This guy called me, no exaggeration, 10 times. I want to come train. When can I come train? 10 times. Oh, I'm going to come Saturday, never show, like that kind of shit. Finally, I'm coming, whatever, Tuesday night. Okay, he came. And it was political season here in America. Uh Uh-huh. And I had a lawn sign up. And he called me, this jerk off, from his car to scream at me for five minutes about the lawn sign that I had up, this political lawn sign, about which about a candidate that I guess I that I endorse for president. Uh-huh. Donald Trump, right? And he fucking screamed at me for five minutes. Uh-huh. So I told him, go fuck himself and leave. You know, what do I care? You know, I'm, and I hang up the phone. And he called me back like a week later, apologized for screaming. Said who I vote for, support politically. He knows it's none of his business. Who he supports is none of my business. He apologizes for yelling. 
can he come for class? I said, sure. He said, but you have to take that lawn sign down. What? Oh, my God. What? Is, this is like scripted. This is so I'm ridiculous. Like, I'm not taking the lawn sign down. I'm like, in fact, I now have to go get a bigger one. <laughs> God, some people are so ridiculous that they can't get People over are just insane. It's amazing. And, and like you said, people live in this fantasy about being, you know, like some modern day warrior or some, you know, graduate of the 36 chambers or something like that. But the gag is... Even in the Kung Fu fantasy nonsense, the students always respected the instructor. They always right. respect somebody else. And this this kind of strange thing, it's like um, – and first of all, the guy gave his name, and it wasn't like, you know – you, you know, he was somebody of note, like, oh, you've been on the cover of Wing Chun Illustrator or something like that. And he, he, he puts my assistant in an odd position because my assistant's job is to make an appointment for intro lessons. And this person is, like, being super insistent that they talk to me. And my assistant's not even, I'm not even on site. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, put him on the phone, make him call me or whatever. And and the crazy thing is, I would have had no problem talking to this person on the phone if this person said, you know what, I've been doing Wing Chun for many years. I'm looking like for another path. It would really be great because right, exactly. I have some concerns because I, you know, have many years of other Wing Chun training. Um, you know, uh, I, I really would like to speak to, you know, Sifu Alex directly because, you know, uh, I may need some, you know, it, it's a slightly different case. And had he approached it like that, my my assistant probably would have been a lot more willing to, you know, get me on the horn with him as soon as possible. But it was like this demand, demand, demand. And why can't I talk to him? And why can't I talk to him? That was kind of like, <laughs> um, well, you know, does this even sound like somebody that we want to have in our school to begin with? Like it's a very bad vibe, you know? And, and, you know, he can say like, well, those people were rude and they didn't put him on the phone. But the truth of the matter is if he wants to come in and make an appointment with me, he could actually make an appointment with me. And he didn't want to. He wanted my time for free. My time is worth something because I'm very busy. And uh, he respected it, but not enough to actually want to do anything with it. And it was just kind of, it was just kind of strange. And, and, and I just can't imagine that I would ever act that way to another martial artist or person that I wanted to meet. Forget martial artist. If I just wanted to meet an architect for planning, I don't know, like uh, uh, how to re- reconstruct uh, my, my, my bedroom or something like that, I would uh, approach them with some modicum of respect or an, and humility, right? So it, it's just very strange that this kind of, you know, kind of comes off that way. And I would be embarrassed as all sin if one of my students, you know, approach somebody else in that kind of way, like, oh, I'm a student of Sifu Alex, the city Wing Chun, therefore, like, I should talk to so-and-so or whatever, you know what I mean? And, and like, you know, I certainly hope that my own students would you know, behave a lot more appropriately when they are talking to somebody who is an instructor of another martial arts style. So, I mean, you know, I don't know, it's just very strange. And, and you know, everyone talks about, oh, martial arts teaches you respect. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting to see it. it, it it's supposed to teach you respect. It, right. It's supposed to. But it doesn't. It just doesn't. I mean, it just... Well it, de well, it depends on the culture of the school. Well, that, I mean, that's, it's, that's it's, it's a top-down culture. If you have a school where respect for your instructor and for your training partners and for each other, because there are plenty of schools that it's just about respect for the instructor, but right. no one respects each other within the school, right? I mean, there are a lot of different ways of doing it, right? But it's about uh, having a mutual respect with everybody in the school. 
And that's a top-down culture, and you can tell immediately from this kind of um, this kind of demanding that this guy has of uh, me that he doesn't come from a school that taught respect because this would not be this would not be part of it, you know? Right. Uh, that's that's and and you know what? I know a lot of people like to put that on like a fighter's mentality. Yeah. I disagree. I think the guys that are actually fighters are more respectful. Yes. And more just nicer to be around. Yes, yeah. For the yeah, for the most part, because they know that on any given day they could lose or they could mess up and they, they've been in tough sparring sessions and tough fights and they know how much work is really involved in actually being able to fight and fight well and they just want to learn and get better so they come from a position of actual humility not this fake humility that right. you see in, in you know on facebook when all these kung fu people talk about like oh Kung Fu is all about respect and, da, 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 and they say all this stuff. But then you have a, pri a private conversation with them and you go, oh, that's what you really are. And this is just your online meme. Right. right. Whereas if you talk <laughs> to somebody who's like, you know, like, for example, a serious competitor and they're like the same guy online that they are offline and you go, OK, this guy's legit. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 an excellent point. That's yeah. You know. And I, you know, and I, and I also, I received a question during the week mm -hmm. and someone asked me if I could just address it. And apparently this is popular because I, I went back and forth with the guy, very nice guy, very respectful. <laughs> he, he sent me a message privately. I'm friends with him on Facebook. So he didn't send it to dudes of Kung Fu. He said to me, he, I get, this is the message I get. Hi, Sean. I feel that if you, to teach Jeet Kune Do effectively, you just have to teach all the techniques and have the students spar. Prove me wrong. Uh -huh. so, was, it, was that in a sarcastic tone or was that dude actually serious? So he said to me, prove me wrong. So I, I sent him a message back saying, why would I care about proving you wrong? I don't give a fuck how you teach classes. Exactly. That's exactly. the message I sent back. So he put a message back, LOL. No, that's a big internet thing now. I, you, stay, you state an opinion and say, prove me wrong. It's not meant disrespectfully. It's just a joke. So I was like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, but 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 your but your original sentiment is totally true. Like, the the idea that you need to react to it just because you are a Jeet Kune Do person is ridiculous. If somebody asked me the same thing, I'd be like, uh, no, you you, you uh, why do I care? Why would about, I care? Why, you why do teach? I care about educating you? Or or I mean, why is that my my responsibilities to my own students? Yeah, right. So, anyways, I said okay. I said so. I I, I would talk about it for a quick minute on the on the podcast. And so here, you're wrong. <laughs> if, you teach, if your idea of teaching Jeet Kune Do is to teach a bunch of techniques and then have the students go out and spar, you're not a Jeet Kune Do instructor, in my opinion. You're, you're barely a coach. You're barely a, you're not, you're an asshole. Right. I, I don't mean to call you an asshole because you were very nice in the message, but you're a little bit of an asshole if that's how you teach. Um... That would be like saying, okay, I'm an English teacher. I'm going to teach you a bunch of verbs and a bunch of nouns and tell you now go write a book. Right. It's ridiculous. To teach someone, uh, here's a jab, here's a cross, here's a hook, here's an uppercut, here's pox a lopsaw, here's this kick, here's that kick. Now go out there and spar. That's not teaching. 
That's at least that's not teaching Jeet Kune Do. That's not teaching boxers don't train that way. Right. You know, because like I know people say, oh, well, well, boxers learn a couple of techniques and go out and spar. No, they don't. No, they don't. They learn. Boxers time. always have a coach. Right. <laughs> the boxers are never without a coach. Right. Exactly right. Right. You need to learn. You need to learn how to use more, almost more important than the techniques themselves are how you to learn how to use them, how to train them. If you take this idea of a jab, you, and I'm just going to run this off the top of my head. This is not from notes or anything. But if I say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to throw a jab. Teaching how to throw the jab properly physically is just step one in the process. So I can sit here and say, okay, here's how you throw the jab against the air. Your, how your body shifts, how, you, how, you, how your momentum moves, how the, the, the jab lands in relation to your, your, your footwork. And all this is step one, learning how to throw the jab. Now I teach you how to throw that jab and hit a focus myth, focus myth while I'm standing there. Now I have now I'm moving around and I'm flashing the focus mitts. So you start developing a little bit of timing and understanding of controlling of distance and how to move up and hit the mitt that maybe now I take a little step back. And, and there's a, this idea of the relationship between you and your target. And then 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 we start getting then we may start getting into the idea of um, me throwing stuff at you and you responding with a jab. So you start learning different ideas of rhythm and timing that way. There's so much more to this than saying, here's how you throw a jab. Now go fight me with the jab. Right. You know, it's so I'm sorry. Your premise is, in my opinion, 100% wrong. Now, I'm sure I didn't prove it to you in your head, but I don't give a fuck. Um, but that, 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 that would be my argument to you is that you're, you're not a very good coach if that's the way you teach. To, to, that to me... That's not a coach. That's just a guy who's taking money for students to come and train with him for a couple of days a week. And, you know, if you're just teaching a list, that would be like in Wing Chun saying, okay, here's the forms. Now go out and spar. Right. It's ridiculous. You have to learn. You need to understand the, 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 the tools. You need to understand the principles. You need to understand how to use the tools. So you have the jab. You need to know, understand strategy as to when and how, when to land that jab, when and how you can land that jab. Then you need to understand and create and perform drills to give yourself the ability to develop the attributes needed so that you could employ the strategy to land the jab. That there's a there's a multi a multi I don't know what's the right word. There's a multi-step process in getting to land that jab against somebody who doesn't want you to land that jab. You know, one of the first things Steve Golden taught me when I first started training with him is that one of the problems martial artists have, Jeet Kune Do people he was speaking about, is that they forget that what you're trying to do to the other guy, he's trying to do to you. Right. <laughs> And there's that, there's that disconnect. Oh, well, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do that. And they forget that the other guy is going to punch you in the fucking face while that's happening. And if you just give people the physical tools without giving them the, the, uh, the supporting cast, 
the idea of the, the development of attributes, the idea of the development of strategy and how to employ that, the, the idea of giving them the support of drills to develop those attributes, you're not teaching them properly. That's just, it's just, and, that, and that's my opinion. That's my answer to your, to your, to your message. Anyway. I mean, well, that makes sense. I mean, I think any, any martial art that was taught like that, just, it, it goes to show that the, if an instructor teaches that way, they really don't have much to teach, right? If you really just think it's a matter of learning, you know, like you said, paxao, lapsao, you know, lead, you know, lead hand punch and kick and a couple other things like that. And well, that's all it is. Well, then, um, that really is a very immature way of looking at martial art, looking at fighting, looking at the complex interactions between human beings when they're trying to induce violence on each other, right? And not to mention, like you say, even even a boxer, which is only uh, trying, you know, to apply four basic techniques and some, you know, footwork and head movement and things like that. Why do they constantly need a coach? They need an outside eye to be able to do things better with better timing, more adapted. They need to adapt strategies based on the different types of opponents they have. They might also be developing habits that they themselves are not aware of. So that outside eye there says, hey, you keep loading up on that punch. You're telegraphing it. You need right, to do it this exactly way. Right. And, and, and so, you know, the idea that you could in almost like an, an artificial intelligence way, kind of like program somebody with jab and then, okay, they know everything they need to know about jab. Now you just need to spar and get the experience. That's never been the human experience because a uh, movement, I mean, look, high level dancers would still go to a choreographer and a dance coach to be able to do it better after they've been doing it for years. Right. Why do f professional football players still have coaches and the game of football doesn't even change, right? right. <laughs> so uh, baseball has coaches, you know, all, all these sports that have been fixed for years in terms of the rule set have coaches now let's look at fighting which is something that is constantly changing and people are finding new ways of moving and stuff like that so that's the one thing you don't need a coach to constantly be on you to improve and get better at. i mean that's completely ridiculous right maybe it's more these people just want to be able to learn a couple movements and feel better that they call themselves an instructor because they kind of get some a statement of confirmation that yeah there's actually not much to it it's just a couple movements and some footwork and yeah you're a jeet kundo guy you know what i mean right i mean and, and you do see that run rampant in jeet kundo because i mean everybody wants to be there's no such thing as a student in jeet kundo right there's right. there's instructors assistant instructors and future instructors in jeet kundo right everybody's right. an instructor in jeet kundo there's no such thing as a student and there's this idea of like and I say Jeet Kune Do, and it sounds like I'm picking on Jeet Kune Do, but I don't mean to be. But, like, it, in martial arts, there's this inflated ego and in, importance that's just nauseating when you hear it. And you see, like, you know, it's just, you just want to slap some people because they're, they're, they've, they've just lost all... God, all, all semblance of reality. They just yes. have this fantasy world, and um, that that was what that was one of the things I fell in love with when, with the the Matt Thornton's crew, was they just just down to earth dudes, and Matt was just like this down to earth dude, and it's just none of and and it's not just Matt. I'm sure it's all it's 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 like I noticed it in your school. Now you have a, a kung fu school, and your school is just fucking cool. It's like a cool place to be. It's got a good vibe, 
and like when I go to some, when I would go to some Jeet Kune Do schools and Wing Chun schools, and you'd feel this vibe like people were afraid of the instructor, <laughs> like a haunted house. <laughs> right? Like why? I mean, I remember, I remember one time like going to this this Jeet Kune Do school for a seminar. It was a like a private seminar, and everybody was afraid of the instructor. And I said, like I even said to one of the guys training, like. Why are you afraid of the instructor? And he's like, oh, dude, he's like a fucking killer. And? And I'm like, have you ever seen him kill anybody? <laughs> and he's like, no. He goes, but he's just, he's incredibly tough. And I'm like, and he, was he yells at you or something? Like, like <laughs> I'm like, like you, you're the customer. You get that, right? Like, you know. Like that's just such a like such a bad environment to put yourself into. Like right. I wouldn't pay money to put myself in a place where I'm afraid. Like right. you know, like exactly. I'm not doing that. I'm. I mean, I'll I'll train seriously. Like I'm not saying I got to be a joke all the time. Yeah. But I'm not gonna be afraid. I'm not gonna be like, oh well, if if I don't do it well, this guy is gonna this guy's gonna you know trip me or push me over and hurt me of something. Now, he may be, you know, hit me if I'm acting like an asshole. But these guys were afraid of not doing well. Right, right, right. Yeah, which is like, you know, if some like I'm a perfectionist with my students when they don't perform the way I want, you know, I'll 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 be on them to do better, but never from a point of malice or anger or exasperation right. or, and certainly not violence, right? And I think that, you know, a lot of times professional martial art instructors, they get a bad rap. You're like, oh, these guys are like, oh, they just teach like a McDojo or they're just like professional. Whatever. But it often comes from people who are like that asshole instructor who part of the reason is, well, one, they're jealous because they thought they would open a school and have hundreds of students and it didn't happen. So sometimes it comes from a point of jealousy. And two, it really comes from this. OK, now, look, there are certainly examples of commercial martial arts schools which are just teaching mcdojo nonsense and they're just like little black belt mills and stuff like that we all know about those 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 are one extreme the other extreme is we all know that there's some very small schools with two or three students taught in a basement somewhere that give the best quality instruction ever and those are really the places to go to those are the two outliers okay we have like the Mr. Miyagi type who's teaching you the real shit in his basement, right? And you have like the McDojo, which is teaching absolute nonsense. We're not going to discuss either one of these extremes. We'll discuss more in the middle. The reason why a lot of these people who profess to be Wing Chun instructors, Jeet Kune Do instructors, why they always talk shit about the people who have successful schools, and I'm not talking about the McDojos, just mm -hmm. successful schools in general, is because they don't have the attitude to be successful because they run their schools to prop up their own ego as an instructor, a fighter, a badass, a tough guy. And that only goes so far. But you cannot build financial success on a school of people who are afraid of you. Right. That's different from respect. You know what I mean? And, sure. and so the reason they feel frustrated is they go, hey, I'm a tough guy. My students are afraid of me. Why don't I have more students? And they literally answer their own question. 
Right. You know, and, and, and so that's the problem. You need to create a culture of something where people want to come back to, you know, and and, and that's not the kind of thing that people want. Mm-hmm. The moment the instructor is teaching, not just for financial or self-ego gratification gains, but the moment they're teaching to improve other people's lives <laughs> is the moment they have a chance to teach professionally. Right. So anyway, um, I think on that note, on we're that probably note, pretty good now, yeah? This mess is ended. Go in peace to love and serve. <laughs> awesome, man. So we'll be uh, we'll be in touch next week. And uh, those of you out there, there's still a couple slots for my seminar in Boston on uh, May 26th with Jim Rosalando, Mark Phillips, uh, and Phil Romero, um, where we're teaching – Elements of the Bugi. It's an open seminar. You got to register. Go online to Facebook. Look up Jim Rosalando. Look up a Boston Wing Chun Gathering. Uh, get the information. Sign up, and uh, I'll be there. And uh, it should be a good time. I got a uh, um, a student of mine who's visiting me from abroad. He'll be with me, and I got another Sifu uh, level student coming with me as well. So I'll be coming with a very cool team. So I'd uh, love to see you guys there. As always, support Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine, and uh, I'll see you next week, Sean. Bigger brother. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter, too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!